0: when it comes to a website, I'm not saying this is a common thing that comes up, but I've definitely heard it. A really uninformed voter that doesn't have a particular perspective, maybe goes around trying to figure out, I should vote, but I don't even know what these parties are. They go to three or four websites. Wow. Like one of these websites looks good. The other three look like garbageio, and I don't know anything. So I'll just vote for the person who at least looks like they know how to put together a website. And I think that like these things really do see bend how people perceive things. They're just not often
1: that conscious of it. Hello, this is The Great Battlefield Podcast. I'm Nathaniel G. Perlman. A great political battle is being fought right now between progressives and the forces of reaction on the other side. This show is about the political entrepreneurs and other progressive leaders who are finding new or improved ways to fight. My guest today, Robert Arno, is founder of Designed to Run, a political campaign and advocacy organization website builder. Robert has turned a custom campaign website practice into a product company with a growing client base. And he's really gone his own way doing that. If you're interested in progressive political entrepreneurship, or campaign websites and how they fit into our ecosystem, you should listen. So, after a quick word from my sponsor, my interview with Robert from Design to Run.
0: What do Blue State, Sierra Club, and Indivisible have in common? They all use Civic Shout to grow email lists that raise money like clockwork. And now, so can you. Instead of vaporizing money with Facebook ads or burning bridges with spam, a new wave of digital directors are helping Democrats and nonprofits acquire opt-ins and nail their monthly goals with Civic Shout. Environmental action called Civic Shout a wildly better way to grow your email list. And Clarify Agency saw a 200% return on ad spend in just two months. Head to civicshout.com forward slash partners to learn more and schedule a demo. That's civicshout.com forward slash partners.
1: Robert, would you mind introducing yourself and giving me a quick biography?
0: Sure. My name is Robert Arno. I am the owner and founder of Run, which is a political campaign website builder. And before that, I was and still am to some extent doing a lot of contract design work for democratic and progressive campaigns for quite a while. And previous to that, I lived a split life as a graphic designer and illustrator doing freelance work for things I didn't care about and doing a lot of political activism, unpaid on the side. Where'd you grow up? I grew up in Brooklyn, New York, actually. Quite a
1: rough spot. Really? Yeah. Tell me about it.
0: Well, my parents were radical communists, wanted to uh, overthrow the United States government and replace it with a, a communist dictatorship, which is not my politics. That was the environment I grew up in. And they were also like quite commendably... Into like healing the racial divisions in the country. So I grew up in an all black neighborhood in Brooklyn, very deliberately on their part. And how did that shape you? You know, I think that, well, especially their viewpoint on the world, like I definitely, yeah, see the world with a certain lens of conflict, right? Obviously, I think it's like everyone sees that in a different way, but like really perceiving the idea that there is oppression in the world and That's
1: something that's important to fight back against. There's something that seems hard for me to reconcile between the way you've described them and what I'm guessing their goals were. What were their models for countries that were doing it right?
0: Yeah, I think honestly, it was probably mostly a function of like fake news. Like they didn't understand what was happening in some of these communist dictatorships. And so they, I think at the time, they thought basically everything was made up by the the capitalists in the U.S. and elsewhere were functionally like saying these places were hell holes when in fact they were paradises on earth. And when at least my mom and my stepdad visited after the wall fell, they definitely changed their perspective because they talked to real people that had grown up there and understood that it wasn't the rosy picture they had seen. So I, I think that their their ideals are very close to mine but their perception of
1: like what types of things were possible and it was a bit different did you like have to extricate yourself from that or did you never adopt their viewpoint or was it not a big deal to you yeah it's a good question
0: I don't think I was a super political at that time and Yeah, I think I sort of naturally drifted into being much more of a social Democrat, which is kind of where I still stand today. Did you go to college?
1: What's your education
0: look like? Yeah, I went to Parsons School of Design. So yeah, I studied illustration and I became a freelance illustrator directly out of school and agents on my senior show. And yeah, that was, that was kind of how my career started. I never ended up really
1: getting a full-time job working for anyone else. Parsons, very well known school in the design space. Was it a good time for you? Did you learn a lot? Yeah, I
0: mean, it's an incredible education. There were like working illustrators teaching us there. So it was not about as good as you can imagine. I got lucky and my stepmother worked for the new school. So I got free tuition and that's what made it possible. So I do understand that not everyone has access to those types of opportunities. To be honest, like growing up in New York, it was a tough environment and I still felt that way during college. So I wasn't like blissed out, but
1: it was definitely like from a career perspective, an amazing place to be. When you came out and started working in the field, you indicated that maybe a lot of your first clients weren't the passion type of clients that maybe you're working for now. Tell me about that phase of life.
0: Yeah. I mean, I was pretty excited about at the time. You can imagine I was like 21 years old. An agent found me. I was doing freelance illustration work for a lot of big advertising campaigns. And yeah, it was amazing. I also was just, just kind of had worked hard my whole life. I'd been, you know, just grinding in school and kind of put a lot of pressure on myself to do that. And so finally, I kind of, through that hard work, was now in a place where I could kind of relax and work 25 hours a week and have these dream jobs. So yeah, it was it was great. I'm definitely not complaining. It opened up a lot of space, though. I had a lot of time. So that's how I ended up getting, you know, I went down to there was a green party guy running for city council in my neighborhood and i was into the green party i went down to their office ended up doing a little bit of design work for them and didn't know anything about what was going on but it turned out that like basically all these like neighborhood activists in san francisco were organizing on a citywide level to kind of sweep out all the corporatists from the city council and put a bunch of progressives in and i went to the victory party not knowing any of this and it pretty much all came to pass. And so it was this incredible moment watching the the football game at the end of the movie, just that kind of uplifting feeling. And it really hooked me. And that's kind of how I ended up wanting to continue to like stay involved in that type of electoral activism that was happening there. Is that where you live now? No, I moved back to New York City. So now I live in Brooklyn and I'm here now and it's not the struggle that I once felt it was. Are
1: you in a different part of Brooklyn? Yeah, I'm in a nicer part of Brooklyn, for sure. So is incitement design then your sort of sole proprietorship in design or did you ever hire?
0: Yeah, so when I moved back to New York, I also decided that I wanted to do design for campaigns, like maybe exclusively. And I started basically sending cold emails to consulting firms, ended up getting... One of them started hiring me for projects, really liked the work I was doing, and basically was like, hey, we want you to do everything for us this year. We have 150 pieces of mail. And I was just like, I can't do that. What firm was that? Uh, Red Horse Strategies. So then one of the partners, he just goes, I go, well, I can't do it. And he goes, then hire someone. And I was like, oh, okay. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) I I guess I could. So yeah, no. Pretty much from that point, I usually had like one full-time designer working for me. That was pretty much what
1: I was doing until we spun off uh, Run. Yeah, and tell me about some of the clients and the challenges before you start Run.
0: Yeah, good question. I mean, I've done so many things; it's hard to like pinpoint anyone. I mean, I designed Gavin Newsom's logo on his website, so that was obviously exciting. And my politics are very progressive, and I wasn't sure at the time how I saw that situation, but I've actually been pleased to kind of see his career play out. He's become very articulate about democracy. Yeah, I kind of feel good about having been part of that. yeah, I mean, I worked on so many different campaigns, it's like hard to even trace it back. A lot of electoral politics,
1: some issue-based stuff. What were they typically using for content management systems? Or what was your choice? For websites? Yeah. Yeah.
0: So for website, here's the thing is I always have done it a little bit different than everyone else because I've always been a design snob. And so I was always designing and building websites from scratch. So almost everyone else uses templates or starts with something that edits it. I was like designing things in Adobe Illustrator and then building them exactly the way it looked in my design program into HTML, CSS. Because of that, I also wanted like the CMS to be really flexible and easy to plug in because I I personally am not a software engineer. like I know the visual side of code really well, but I don't know anything else. So I previously was using a CMS called Couch CMS that's just really, really easy to drop into a site that you build on your own from
1: scratch. So I never really used WordPress or any type of other CMS like that. So there's the design side of a website, which is important. But there's also the functionality side of a website. So how did you think about the types of tools and the way that that website integrated with other software that the campaign might need? It's a lot of effort to be able to build those integrations in an automated, serious
0: way. And so for the most part, when I was designing custom websites, those things were not viable, right? They weren't financially viable to do things like that. So I was mostly operating on kind of the front, visual end of things. And then if someone wanted to donate, there's just a link out to ActBlue. If someone wanted to use NGP, we'll say for Gavin Newsom's site, we took NGP's forms, embedded them in the site, and then like painstakingly restyled them to match the the site itself. But you know, for the most part, people weren't willing to pay for that sort of thing, and so mostly we were just kind of. For forums, it was like emailing to people or doing something rather simple, like going into MailChimp. Completely different than the way we have run set up now, because the fact that we're operating at scale allows us to build things that wouldn't be financially viable for a particular
1: site. So it sounds like coming from the design side shaped a lot of how you thought about what was needed by a campaign.
0: Yeah, I think that that's probably something that's really different and unique about me, like both as a political person and as like a tech founder, is that my my deep interest lies
1: in design. Why do you think the design of a site and the logo and things like that matter to a campaign? Yeah, that's a good question. And a
0: question that people don't often know the answer to, but I think that big business knows the answer to it. And it's because design has a profound psychological effect on how people perceive things and it's often unconscious so you can look at a certain set of colors or certain fonts and you're going to come away with an impression of the voice behind it so if you look at something that looks laid out poorly the colors clash it's in times new roman and comic sans you're going to instinctively feel like this isn't serious this person doesn't know what they're doing you know in in design school like one of the the exercises they gave us is they would kind of like functionally you could imagine like you describe someone's voice i could say it's a authoritative person who you have great confidence in and has a long pedigree in their career and like when you look at a font it often has a personality that could match that or could match something else and so if you choose the wrong branding It's as if you're putting like a personality and a voice behind the things that are being said. I guess that's how I could put it.
1: I guess I buy that to some degree. And I certainly have found design in many walks of life to be compelling and definitely shape an impression. I also think it goes the other way to some degree, which is maybe if you're Gavin Newsom and you have built a brand and you have your hair in a certain way, then what you bring affects the perception of the design of the website or of your campaign. Something comes from you in the other direction. With your Obama and they design, almost any logo might have been cool for Obama because of what he brought to it. Do you buy that?
0: Uh, I understand what you're saying, but I don't necessarily agree. I do think that it happens, but it's a much like slower process. So like the way that we think about colors and fonts is absolutely like culturally informed, right? We think about blue is male and pink is female, but that didn't used to be the case. Like that was something that like Macy's decided in like the 1920s. So yes, like these things are culturally shaped over time, but the reality is like the vast majority of candidates are not in a position to be like shaping design language. they are just speaking in a language.
1: I think that's probably true. I mean, when I see a company rebrand, like I remember I was used to Bell Atlantic and then it became Verizon. And when I first saw the Verizon logo and the name, it clashed for me. I didn't like it. I was comfortable with the old one. And then over time I got used to it. I mean, I think that just happens.
0: Yeah. I think that there's a certain degree of like taste that's involved. And that's what you're talking about is like, do I like this thing exactly? Do I like that thing exactly? Like Yeah, I think within a certain margin, it probably doesn't matter that much, right? Like, it looks pretty good. It gives an impression that's close enough to what you need. Cool. Like, you're good to go. The problem with campaigns a lot of times is, like, they are so far off that, right? Like, the things look so bad and so unprofessional and so unreadable that it does have an effect on how people perceive things. So, when it comes to a website, I'm not saying this is a common thing that comes up, but I've definitely heard it a really uninformed voter that doesn't have a particular perspective, maybe goes around trying to figure out, I should vote, but I don't even know what these parties are. They go to three or four websites. Wow, like one of these websites looks good. The other three look like garbage and I don't know anything. So I'll just vote for the person who at least looks like they know how to put together a website. And I think that like these things really do seep into how people perceive things. They're just not often that conscious of it. So, maybe you're seeing signs, you're seeing flyers, and it's kind of like you're taking it in. And, like, you know, and not everyone's as visual, and not everyone, maybe the visual side of it affects them as much. But I don't think it's something that, like, you can safely ignore. Now, I will say that, like, I think that the general ethos in the political space is that people do consider design, like, relatively unimportant, but I
1: think it's a mistake. I have been following the intersection of campaigns and technology since before websites existed. And over the time that I have there have been many many people who went from designing sites custom for campaigns to deciding that there was a company there and building a a political campaign website tool. I remember the ones that were there in 1999 and 2006 and 2013 and some companies have gotten to reasonable scale with that but it's often been a tricky market what made you think this is a really good business to start
0: just to start with i did not know about any of those predecessors when i started this so um but you know i was designing websites for people custom websites pretty expensive and then i started I realized i could reskin websites i was already building everyone else already does that but like i was like oh i can do this half price i'll reskin the websites and then i thought okay you know i can go another step and i can just automate this and i saw that like the consulting firms i worked for weren't paying for that many websites right they were paying, they were paying for a lot more mail than they were websites and i was like okay maybe if we go down on price there's a bigger market there and essentially i just asked the people that the consulting firms that i was working with i was like how much would you pay for this And i had willingness to pay conversations with them and to be fair these were bigger consulting firms and our highest level of pricing is based on what they told me and i just added up the number of campaigns and was pretty clear that like there was a market much bigger even than i needed in order to make the business viable
1: did you reincorporate or incorporate did you like create a business entity for this endeavor
0: only later into the process so It was basically just like happening as part of like the incitement design business for a while. It was just something that we were working on. I worked on it for two years before it existed at all in the world. Yeah, and then once it existed, a few months after that, we like did all the paperwork and made it a proper separate entity. So now they exist as two different legal entities.
1: I saw in an interview that you had with campaigns and elections that seemed like a key turning point was hiring a technologist that would do some of the coding. Is that, was that true? Or, and is that person still with you?
0: Yeah, not the person that I mentioned in that article is not still with me. That's been the biggest challenge because being a non-technical co-founder of a tech company is like very, very challenging and it's been a huge learning curve. I was hiring contractors and different agencies at first and trying to do it at a budget that was like pathetically small for what actually is required here. And eventually I was introduced to someone who became a junior partner in the business who was like a pretty like seasoned engineer. And I worked with him for like nearly a year, but it was not a good fit as far as like us being partners for the long term. And so that relationship ended. And at that point I ended up like, now we have like full-time paid software engineers who work on the business. So yeah, it's a very different situation right now. But essentially what happened was we launched the business in 22. That guy was with me at the time. We sold two websites like in short order. And I just thought, oh my God, yeah, we made it. I was like, we sold two websites. Like it's done. Off to the races. I don't know why, but it gave me, a trem- it gave me enough confidence to be like, okay, yeah, I'm actually going to invest in this now. It worked. That's been the situation for like the year that we've been live is we've had the same like lead software engineer with us. And we have another software engineer who's like a designer slash engineer. But yeah, it's challenging there's a lot to learn. There's a lot to learn about like hiring. There's a lot to learn about managing engineers. And there's a lot to learn about software engineering just to be running a business like this. I have to understand things, even
1: if I'm not the one doing them directly. What I'm hearing is entrepreneurship. Making something happen with limited resources, despite the obstacles, is kind of the game. First, you're trying it with agencies and you don't have the money and they don't have the commitment. And then you try one person. I don't know anybody who nailed all those decisions in a bootstrap startup that's coming out of, your, out of your design practice. The main thing is, can you keep putting one foot in front of the other? And can you build up a client base? And can you build up a technology that you can sell and that's reliable? Where would you put yourself along that curve right now?
0: I'm feeling great about it. I'm really, honestly, it's the most interesting, exciting thing I've ever done. It's an incredible year. Basically, we're doing pretty well in terms of like customers and revenue. It's so expensive to pay everyone that we're like still not quite at the point of paying our bills without the income from incitement funding the business as well. But we're very close. My feeling is that we're gonna be okay this year, but I think really like the business will probably like really take off in 2025 and 26
1: my guess is we'll go like 5, 6, 10x, what we are now. One of the things that I've seen as a pattern is people running services companies, and you have a certain way that you're used to get revenue, that you used to make sales that works. And then if you're trying to pivot into a product company, which is a different kind of animal to run, there's that investment phase where resources have to go before sales get made of something that you can build once and sell many times. And that is typically very tricky to navigate without capital or you have to do it slowly. Yeah, absolutely. I think
0: that's like that's definitely been been the path. I mean to be fair, a lot of the the sort of core value in the builder were things that I was able some of it I was able to do without money. So a lot of the way that the the modules work and the whole design system, it was something that like I built and designed. So like, yes, I did have to pay money out. And there certainly has been a lot of investment, but there was a lot of like in-house skill that brought it a lot of the way too. And the people that have worked for me at Incitement, we have a lot of downtime between like our busy periods. And so the logo, the animated logo, a lot of the stuff didn't cost money out of pocket because of that
1: are you on a content management system at this point
0: we built this platform entirely from scratch
1: so it's literally like a completely custom piece of software when i've been in conversations about campaign websites most people have steered away from that because there's so much on a existing say open source cms or private one that you may end up having to rebuild and to, to put yourself on a path of having to reinvent a big wheel, especially as the functionality gets more challenging in a big website. I've heard pe- a lot of people advise against that. Why that call? Yeah, that's a really good
0: question and a very like interesting one from like a product and technical perspective. Some of it comes back to like what a prima donna I am when it comes to design. Because basically what happened was I was working with someone right in the beginning. He wanted to be a partner of the business. He decided not to. And he was like, just, yeah, do it on WordPress. And I was like, of course, like, that makes sense. We'll just do it on WordPress, like, whatever. He was like, you can do the whole thing for $50,000. And I was like, yeah, that sounds good, you know. And then we like went into Adobe Illustrator and we designed how the whole CMS worked. And then I was like, hey, so like, how do we put this Oh wait, No, you, you can't put that into WordPress. Like, You need to just use their WordPress system, but then you put your like final designs in there. And I was like, oh no, like this needs to work exactly the way I want it to. I had a very specific vision about the way that I wanted the CMS to work that could not be accomplished by working with someone else's thing. The thing about out of the box solutions like that is they're faster and they're cheaper and they're easier. But when you get to the point where you want to do customizations and you want to do things the exact way you want to. Now you suddenly are like facing enormous amounts of work to work around what they have. Now I need to work around all the WordPress bugs and all the WordPress updates and the fact that WordPress hacks are known to the general world because it's WordPress. So there's a lot of reasons. I just wasn't going to be able to do what I wanted to do. And the reality is we did it the way we did it, foolishly or not, but people love WordPress. The interface and they love the CMS because it's so easy to use and it's so easy to learn and I think that's a function of the fact that we built it exactly the way we wanted to so one of the things I noticed say with like Squarespace or WordPress is like a lot of the functionality and a lot of the features are hidden so it's like oh I want to do this thing or I want to update the text on my WordPress I want to update the text here I have to go to another page to update the text on this page or Squarespace. I want to find a menu. I want to drill down like eight menus down to find something. And so this particular thing was built in a way where like it has, it has very few subterranean levels. So like, it's very easy to find everything. It's very quick. And I don't think that would have been doable. The other thing is that like, as we go, we want to do even more sophisticated things, right? So we want to do things like building in sophisticated event analytics so you could plug in such that say you're running a statewide campaign and you want to do remarketing events to say you're like hey we want everyone who comes to our issue page on abortion rights or comes to our education page within the month leading up to the election we're going to assume that person's like an undecided voter who is interested in education. And now we can remarket to that person. And it's like once you start to get into this type of depth of technology, having to like build that on top of an existing beast, I think then you're now stuck. You're now going to be in a situation where small things become incredibly complicated. We're like, yes, it took us some work to build the, the basics. But then once we have the basics built, it's not that hard for us to continue to add on to it because the whole infrastructure is clean and well built and not cluttered with like thousands of other things that are legacy from 30
1: years of WordPress. Definitely, it's a trade-off. And there's something about building something extremely custom to a market where you can control everything. That means that you can make the change you want on the timeframe that makes sense and not have to deal with anybody else's mess on the other hand there might just be a feature that you could get as a plugin in some cms wordpress or otherwise that you were you never going to build on your own because it's too time consuming or there's enough demand for it so it's i think it's a trade off i don't know i don't know which is the right thing i've seen people do both i've seen people go from one to the other over time it doesn't matter much at all to a campaign unless they are going to have, take a lot of responsibility for updating information and changing the site themselves, in which case, if it's in a common CMS, they might be able to find their own people to do that. Whereas, uh, I don't know how extendable yours is at this point. Typically, the custom ones are reliant on the shop to make changes.
0: Yeah, that's why one of the reasons people like it. There's a sense of like, oh, we don't need to go back to like this agency, this freelancer, it was like on vacation in Tahiti.
1: It's really, really easy to update it yourself. And yeah. Probably there's a limit to how much update you can make, right? Because it's whatever you've thought of in advance, more or less.
0: Yeah, I think that's yeah. that's definitely, yeah, I, I would say that's
1: probably the bigger trade-off. Like I think the platform solution is, is great. And it can be faster too, because you're not loaded up with piles of stuff that that any, any large CMS has built up. Exactly, so you could call that like a feature shock, right? Like there's so many things you can't find what you need. It's not even need, it's like the actual operation of the website, like a Drupal website could be slow, right? Mm-hmm. Right, that's also true. You've made this decision, which came from a design first vantage point, I think. Tell me about building this into a company to the degree you have so far, what have been the key things that have happened? Well, maybe you could be more specific. I'm like drawing a blank. Clearly, hiring has been important, but how, you know, have you scaled your sales operation or is it all word of mouth at this point? How are you pursuing other customers? How are you thinking about future versions of your website builder or do you think it's done? My experience is nothing like that was ever done, but, um, but, uh, yeah, but, like, how are you th- how are how are you aiming to grow this, or are you happy with where it is? It's been going good. I've been basically
0: spending all the company's money for the software engineering. And so then I do all the sales. I do all the ad like I do everything else. So I've been flying to conferences all year. I've been connecting with people on LinkedIn. I've just been doing tremendous amounts of like marketing on my own. And for the first, let's say we hard launched in December of 22, even though we had been up for six months before that, I I thought it was going to move faster than it did. So I thought, okay, we're going to push this boulder over the edge of this hill. And it's just going to like stampede down the hill. I was like, this product's so good. It's amazing. Everyone will just spread the word and it'll spread like wildfire. So did not spread as quickly as I had hoped. And so there's been a lot more of like my shoulder against this boulder, just like shoving it slowly, slowly, slowly. I will say that around September, so about nine months into it, we started to get our first trickle of inbound leads. So people I just didn't know emailing me. And now that has turned into like a lot. So we're almost at the point where I don't really need to do marketing anymore. It's like almost every day people are Getting in touch with me out of the blue and 75% of them to ask for a lower rate, but uh, <laughs> they're interested nonetheless. So I think it's in a very good place, but I do also think I think there's some amount of time it takes people a, to feel comfortable, right? Like are we gonna put up a website on your thing? Are you gonna be around next year? Or is your thing gonna go down? Cause it can it get attacked. There's all these concerns people have that like I think make the adoption a little slower on the front end. And I think also proving the value because there are definitely a certain number of people, as you're saying, who just don't value design and they don't think websites matter at all. There's that click who are basically like, I'll just pay Squarespace $16 a month because I just, quote unquote, need something up. Doesn't matter what my website is. Yeah, and I think for the future, essentially, our vision is to build something that's indispensable and that's far more featureful than what we have now. So we're gonna have full click to translate that you can like pull in a chat GPT translation, but then you can override it. As I was talking about, we'll have really advanced analytics that are like very specific to campaigns. We in a couple of weeks are launching our like event integration where we're gonna be pulling in events from mobilize and NGP. There's a lot of stuff we can do that I think is gonna be really, really valuable for campaigns. And I think especially when we get to it at scale it'll become even more valuable because we'll be able to get data on like, okay, these types of modules collect more donations than these types. There's a whole bunch of like, really, I think things that we will have that will be very, very difficult to replicate on a one-off basis. And I think that's the vision is to kind of, especially over the next year is like really build up the platform. So from what it is now, which is like fast, beautiful, great political websites, it'll become something that's like, even more of kind of an indispensable tool that's very very difficult to replicate.
1: If I were running a campaign in 1998, I would be like I need my website. Now, it seems to me you need a presence in lots of places. Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, name the platform, you probably want your campaign there. You probably want it there in a similar design You want your brand to be consistent across lots of places have you tackled that to an extent for campaigns because if i were running i would want my my website tool to put me everywhere and integrate all of that
0: good point didn't mention it in the previous answer but outside of the website itself yeah we're seeing this becoming like kind of a more comprehensive design tool so probably the next thing we'll roll out once the website builder is like fully fleshed out is a logo builder. So it'll be like, you can build your logo, you can throw it on your website, you can color it with your website colors. And then I think we also are going to build some some type of like social media design tool.
1: Is that going to be an AI based website logo builder? Because I've played with them and it's pretty good now. You can generate something immediately that or a sheet of them like you would get from a, a real designer. What's your feeling about about <laughs> that?
0: <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think probably in five or ten years, like it's gonna it'll put all of us out of business. But I having be you know, I'm in the weeds with design like day to day, and I do try to use these tools. And I would say, like for the most part, the A design tools are like extremely gimmicky and poor. So when it comes to logo builders I don't think there's actually an AI logo builder I think probably what you're seeing is something where like right these are chat gpt plugins that are essentially no, no
1: I've I've seen independent logo builders I've played with them they seem to you know like I'm no pro but I, I, I they seem like they generate things that would be perfectly serviceable
0: yeah so I can probably explain it. I haven't seen the particular one you're talking about so I could be wrong but I'll, I'll tell you how I think they're probably working because I understand pretty well how these things work I'll start actually with how AI website builders work. AI website builders do not build websites. What AI website builders do, or what a lot of the AI tools you see on the internet do, it's very hard to build AI models. And it's very complicated to build AI models, and very few companies are doing that. So what these companies are doing is they're doing clever plugins with ChatGPT. And so what that means would say like when Wix or someone is like, oh, we have our AI website builder, what are they doing? They have their Wix builder, And what they do is they send a request to ChatGPT and they go, ChatGPT, here's like a description of of this website. Give me a list of pages on that website. Cool. ChatGPT can do that. Okay, ChatGPT. Thanks for that list of pages. Now for page one, take a look at all the the, the modules that we have on Wix. Module one does this. I'm describing it in words to you. Module tool does this. I'm describing it in words to you. Pick from the 100 modules I've just described and lay them all out on this page for me. Give me a list of them that I should put on the page. Thank you, cool. Now, fill in the text on module one. So they're not actually designing a website. What they're doing is they're taking a bunch of pre-existing things that people have built and they're just organizing them in a certain order. And I'm fairly certain that's how the, the AI logo is working. What's happening is a human went in and they decided on like 100 or 200 stock icons, and they have a bunch of fonts that they use. And then basically they feed that to, their, to, to some like chat bot, which is probably ChatGPT. and they go, ChatGPT, here's a list of the 200 icons we have, and here's a description of those icons, and here's the types of things someone might use those icons for. Now here's someone putting in a prompt, can you pick an icon for them? Thank you. And they throw an icon on the page. And it's already so. human has decided how those things are going to be laid out. And so in that sense, yes, we may have an AI based tool, but it's not AI designing a logo. It's AI like used to select from a bunch of options that a human has laid out. I'm not saying that someone's not going to be able to come up with an AI logo builder, but like I've played with a lot of AI image generation tools. And as far as I've seen, there's nothing that can like design iconography actually at all so it's very poor at iconography and text it's very good now at like designing illustrative types of images which by the way very rarely match what you say those tools are very difficult to use because when you put in a prompt it gives you something but what it's doing is just matching keywords so if you do like i tried to do a, a cat cat with wings flying out a window what the ai tool is doing is it's randomly generating static noise and then trying to like recognize the keywords. Do I see a cat? Do I see wings? And do I see a window? But it's not understanding how those things fit together in a comprehensive way. And so I think we are a few years off from these tools being at that level where you just put in these keywords and it like spins up a brilliant logo for you. Now, if you want to kind of randomly select from a bunch of like things where it's just mixing and matching like different fonts and pre-existing icons, yes, you can do that.
1: Seems like there's Always some sensitivity right now among skillful practitioners and the machines, but you're probably right. What has been the reception so far among, like, if I were in your shoes, I would be worried about, like, the firms that do digital marketing, digital consulting to democratic campaigns and, like, organizations, and whether or not they want you. And your system to be usable by their clients, so that you can have aggregators that are like, okay, we need seventeen of these, rather than individually picking up state senate campaign here and a state house campaign there. And years ago, there was a, a woman who started a website builder that was arranged around the state party, and it was like, we're going to build the state party site, and we're going to give them the technology to build any website for any campaign under their umbrella. And that seemed like a clever idea. And they went for a while and, and and didn't last. And I don't know the story there, but how do you think about scaling this so that you can land a lot of them at once or serve the party, serve the ecosystem?
0: Yeah, no, it's a very, very interesting questions around like the, the business models and like the ecosystem and We're having different experiences, depending. So we do have consulting firms using it and some of them love it. I would say the firms that love it are doing one of a couple of things. Some of those firms make money on other things and they don't consider websites to be like a profit center. And so for them, what it does, it lets them land the project. They can offer this client a beautiful website. They can show the next client a beautiful website they designed for someone else. And they make all their money on marking up advertising, right? So those firms are down. They're fully into it. It just takes a huge hassle off of them and they love it. Then you have other firms that see websites as a profit center. And so
1: some of them like it, depending. Will you let them use your tech and resell it or or how does that work? We have an
0: ability for them to pay five hundred dollars to remove our footer link from the websites
1: to white label it. Essentially,
0: it's a lightweight label because yeah. they can't. They, you can't white label the the backend, so the CMS itself is not white labelable right now. And, but yeah, you can kind of hide it from your client basically if they're not the ones updating the site. And so we've definitely had a certain number of people who have gotten sites for big campaigns who then pay for the white labeling. So they're paying us then $2,000 for the startup fee, $500 for the, the footer removal, and then whatever the monthly fee. I don't know actually how much they charge the clients, but I would guess it's like considerably more than that. And so for them, that's a great situation if they can make that work. Then there are maybe the place where we get the most resistance, I would say, are like small consultants. Small consultants, I think, often do probably have a hard time making ends meet for very legitimate reasons. Their clients are very price sensitive. It's very difficult to survive in that environment. A lot of their models, they need, they want to mark up everything. Every last thing that, that comes through them, they want to mark it up. And so for them, I think sometimes what they're doing right is right now they go, okay, I'm going to spin up a Squarespace site. I'm going to pay someone or have someone in-house like do the design on that. We'll spend almost nothing on it and then we'll charge the client like a couple thousand bucks. And so they can make a good amount of money and they basically look at us and they go, well, we don't wanna give you anything. They're like, we really wanna use your product because it's making our lives much easier and it's much better than the alternatives, but you're cutting too much into our margin. That's just the reality of the situation as there's a certain amount there. And then there's also, of course, even individual campaigns. And I think a lot of it, honestly, it's a lot about the perception of the value of a website and the value of our product. And I think what happens a lot is what our product does functionally from like an economic perspective, is it removes the need for someone with like a a technical skill. You no longer need someone who like either knows HTML, CSS to build something fancy, and you don't need someone who like knows WordPress or Wix, which also have their own like technical challenges. And so you've eliminated that $2,000 cost to pay a freelancer to build a Squarespace site. But they don't think about it that way. They just go, well, Squarespace costs $16 a month and you cost this much upfront plus $50 a month and you're both website builders. They're not fully grasping that like we're a website builder, but we've also like eliminated a lot of the technical skill
1: required to do the thing. Yeah. I mean, all of the, what I would call templated website builders that have been around have shortcut the building of a website by a lot and made it so that you could turn it on very quickly and you're not paying for customization. So your custom work and and what you would do yourself for a governor's candidate in California would typically drive you up market to to people with budgets to afford you. And a templated solution would typically drive you down market to do things cheap for people who don't need the customization. And I think you're trying to say like, we can do the custom quality at a lower price and find our way between them. Does that make sense?
0: Yeah, I think that that's probably right is we're kind of operating in the middle of the market in that way. And to some extent we are taking a lot more of the high-end market than the low-end market. So I think like, again, the price sensitivity, people are going, okay, this is almost as good as paying for something custom,
1: if not better in some circumstances, and it's a lot cheaper. So for them, it's a no brainer. So adjacent to this is the political campaign software market, which I'm familiar with back in the day. There are firms that provide a, a list management application at different levels of the market. There are people who are aiming at the long tail, the really small campaigns. They can sell it for $100 a year or small amounts. And they have to make it very simple because there's nobody staffing these campaigns. There's no budget. It has to work. And there's a bunch of them at the higher end that are trying to do U S Senate campaigns where there's a lot of complexity of applications and a lot and like escalating interest in features, right? If you had your way, like your own preference, where would you want to be it's going to dictate what kind of partners that you have, say, in that space. Do you want to be a solution for the long tail? Do you want to be the solution in the middle? Do you want to be in the campaigns that people have heard about that are statewide or congressional and up, presidential? I think ideally we want to do all of them, but I do think that it's
0: a challenge as far as like, how do you arrange that? We're really looking into the possibility. Like right now, our pricing model is based on the size of the district, which Sort of works. The problem is it doesn't align with people's willingness to pay. So you end up losing a lot of people because these people, they don't want to pay, even though maybe it's a big race. Oh, I'm running for Congress, but I'm a progressive and I have no money. You know, I think probably we're going to go to something that's more feature based. So I think it's mid late this year, we'll switch our pricing model. So everyone who's already in will be grandfathered into like the highest feature set. But any new clients at that point, instead of paying us based on the size of the district, will pay us for the number
1: and complexity of features that they want to use. Yeah, I think it's it's an interesting challenge in front of you. How do you make something that helps the people that you want get elected, that is a sustainable business, that's fun to do? That's what's in front of you. Is there a question I should have asked you about this that I didn't? No, but there's one
0: other thing I wanted to say. I, I thought of it before and maybe like too technical or too in the weeds, but for the listeners out there. Just wanted to like explain a little bit more about the design philosophy and the thing we we're talking about, like why we didn't use WordPress or why we didn't use an existing platform is our builder works completely differently than those. So with the other builders, like often you can like mess with things, right? Oh, I can change the width of this exact thing. Like you're functionally getting a WYSIWYG interface to like do HTML, which doesn't work very well fundamentally. Whereas our interface we give you a beautiful module. And then on the sidebar, there's like toggles and options and things you can turn on and off. But there's no like build your own component thing, right? It's like take our component and we built a bunch of options for you. And so it works really fundamentally very different. It makes it a lot easier. It also makes it unbreakable. So because we don't let you do those things, our thing works on mobile 100% of the time. You can't mess it up. Just wanted to wanted to, to throw that in there.
1: There was a company. There may still exist called Avnet. Yeah, campaignoffice.com. They were around for a long time with a website builder. It looks to me like they they were still around in 2019. I don't know if they still are, but they they're probably not. Yeah, they were a lot bigger than you at at their height. They built multiple. Lawn, I don't know that they were better. They just were around for a while. But they, but they. Ended up with lots of different lines. So they had like campaign office, they had gov office, it had nonprofit office or something. You know, they had lots of different verticals of like builders using the same basic tech suite. There's no reason that what you're doing wouldn't work for a church or wouldn't work for a nonprofit. So have you thought about like, am I? In the long run, going to want to go to markets that are adjacent where the same tech could, could be valuable to the business and valuable to that, that organization that aren't campaigns.
0: Yeah, absolutely. In fact, we're already, we already do some of that and we're rolling out, like we have templates already built for various things that aren't yet like live on the site, but definitely nonprofits, advocacy organizations, things like that for sure. Beyond that, I don't know. I'm not particularly interested myself in like just making a website builder for anything, but it's possible the the platform itself may be so useful and so powerful that I can imagine selling the platform or selling use of the platform for other people to build out different types of industries that actually
1: might be far bigger. You know, you want to build a website builder for restaurants, go for it, you know. That's the nature of the business is that it tends to pull you either to increase features as people ask you for stuff or more breadth, you have to then decide what is it that you want to do? Otherwise, sometimes someone else is making those calls.
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean, honestly, like at the end of the day, like I want to save our democracy. I'm having a lot of fun building this product. And so for me, like the fact that it actually does something that's important and might matter is like, That's what holds my interest. I don't think that I would have had the patience for this if it was just like, oh, I'm just going to make a random website builder for a random industry that I don't care about. Like
1: that, that doesn't, yeah, that doesn't get me up in the morning. Well, sometimes if you do that, then you can put the resources back. If you did a restaurant and that was very profitable, then you have the ability to substantially improve your campaign website. So these are complicated calls, I think. That's true. That's true. Anyway, great to talk to you. Anything else you want to say? Nothing I can think of. Where would people
0: find you? So the product is called Run, although a lot of people know us as Designed to Run because our URL is Designed to designedtorun.com. Feel free to call us both. That's a T-O. And yeah, we have a ton of big campaigns on there right now. We just onboarded our first California statewide
1: and we have a bunch you should of people. say You should say some of these names because that will matter to political people.
0: Well, I can't say all of them because some of them are white labels, but Bob Ferguson is running for Washington governor on the platform. And where where are you located? I'm in D.C. D.C. Okay. I've heard Janice Lewis-George is well-known in D.C. She's on the platform. She's one of the city council people. California is really our stronghold. We have Latifah Simon, who's running for U.S. House there. We have Holly Mitchell in L.A. County a supervisor who's really well-known. And yeah, we have a bunch of statewides in Pennsylvania. We've sold like 120
1: websites so far. So... Well, congrats on that. That is uh, making a dent. I wish you the best of luck. Thanks so much. Okay. Really appreciate it. That was Robert Arno. He's at designedtorun.com.